Hello, Sue. How are you? That's all right. We'll get to it. Well, good morning. How's everybody's morning? Awake? Maybe. Probably not, since you're not responding. Okay, we're going to go into Prophecies of Christ. Back into this one. We're still in what I call the pre-gospel. In other words, the gospel being the death, burial, and resurrection. So this is before Christ is crucified, but leading up to the events leading up to his crucifixion. Okay? Then we've got the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection. And then we have all the ones about the kingdom, which is after the resurrection, the ascension, and all the things that he talked about there. So we've just got uh, two left. We're going to finish this particular area today. And kind of the focus we have is the night, Thursday and Friday, early Thursday and Friday. Thursday about 6, 6 p.m. at night, somewhere after 6 p.m. they had the Passover meal. And Doug talked about that last week. Then he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I think um, the arrest Doug also talked about last night, was part of the last week, was a betrayal. And then he's brought before Annas. Anybody tell me who Annas is? And don't say the guy they brought Christ in front of. He's the father-in-law of Caiaphas, and Caiaphas is the high priest. So they took, it, they took him to the father-in-law of the high priest that night to inquire. He was like the former high priest or something too, wasn't he? I, I don't know what he was. I didn't read any history up on him to see whether he was or he wasn't. I just know when they, when they the, the phrasing is a little bit difficult when you read it. It says, it says he's the father-in-law of Caiaphas, comma, and he's the high priest. You've got to say, okay, okay, who's the high priest? Annas is not the high priest this time. He's just, he's the father-in-law. But somewhere at, when it's daybreak, when, when the, the new day started, and the new day starts at 6 o'clock in the morning, he sends it to his son-in-law, Caiaphas. And Caiaphas is the one who said, we need to kill him. Okay? It's better for one man to die for the good of all the other men, all the other men being the people in the Sanhedrin. So he's brought before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, I lumped them together. When you read it, it's a little bit muddy to say, does he take it to the high priest and the Sanhedrin or the Sanhedrin with the high priest? It looks like when I read most of the Gospels, it has him with the Sanhedrin because when he and Christ are talking, he gets slapped by somebody because, because Christ talks back to him. and tell, you know, He answers this question you know, to say, you know, he was asking, who are you? And are you the son of God? And like that. And he answers them, and somebody slaps him and says, don't you know you're talking to the high priest? So that's why I bundled them together. Then he goes before Pilate, the praetorium. So this is the point where the Sanhedrin says, we got to kill him, but we can't kill him because the people would be unhappy with us. So we'll, we'll send him over to Pilate, convince Pilate that, that he, he's the one, you need to get rid of him because he's causing an insurrection against Rome. So he's before Pilate. And this is at the Praetorium. It's early in the day on Friday. 
And they don't go inside there because they don't want to defile themselves for the Passover that's coming over. So they just kind of shove Christ in the door and said, here, he's your problem. Pilate says, where are you from? I'm from Galilee. Oh, well, you're a Jew. That's not my problem. And he sends him to Herod. And Herod talks to him. And Herod says, I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. Okay, so, so there's a discussion going on between him and Herod. And Herod says, well, you know, I'm not going to do anything with him. So he sends him back to Pilate. At some point in here, he gets scourged. And I think Pilate scourged him with the thought that if I scourge him and everything like that, they'll let him go. It's enough. But when he's brought before Pilate and everybody's there and he wants to let him go, he's condemned at that particular point. So that's kind of the timeline. And we were talking about it to say, if you look at all of this that occurred Friday, and, it, and let's say it started at like 7 o'clock, maybe 8. When do you think it got done so that he could be crucified? Ten o'clock? Maybe ten thirty in the morning? When did he die on the cross? What time? You remember? I believe it says the ninth hour of the day. What's the ninth hour of the day? It's three in the afternoon. So he was on the cross for four to five hours before he expired. Best I can do for the math, looking at the sequence of events. So we're going to talk about all these different trials and what happened in the garden from the standpoint of him praying, because I don't think you covered that last week, did you, Doug? No, okay. So we're going to talk about that this morning, and that'll move us into the crucifixion to talk about starting next week. Any questions? Does this timeline help? Kind of orient it to say this is, this is the sequence of events. And I thought it's amazing he goes through a trial at Annas, a trial at the Sanhedrin, a trial with Pilate, a trial with Herod, and back to Pilate again. That's five. You know, this, nobody wants to really do what they want to do, right? Pilate wants to release him. Why? What was the big driver why Pilate wanted to release him? He, didn't, he, he knew he didn't do anything wrong, was one. That's a good point. And the other point, his wife. His wife says, don't, don't touch this one. I had a dream. Stay away from it. And he tried. He really did try. But if he would have released Jesus instead of Barabbas, what would the Jews have done? They had rioted. Yeah, they rioted it. And Pilate could be removed from his position as governor if he didn't keep the peace. So he had to keep the peace. Okay, so he rejected by leadership. This is the leadership that decided to take things into their own hand. It's in Isaiah. But to, but, and I'm going to jump down to what it is where he's talking about it in Isaiah. Um, in verse 13, it, it is the Lord of the armies. It's kind of interesting after they came back from the, from the captivity in Babylon, it refers to the Lord of armies, but this is before the captivity. It is the Lord of armies whom you are to regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. 
Then he will become a sanctuary. But to both houses of Israel, he will be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense and a snare and a trap for inhabitants of Jerusalem. So here's where it's saying the people are going to reject him. Who I send, they're going to say, no, 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 we don't want, we don't want to follow him. And this is in 1 Peter where he brings it up. Peter's talking about it. Um, where he's talking about the stone the builder rejected is stumbling block offense. They will stumble. They'll be disobedient. Peter's talking about how the Pharisees and the Sadducees rejected Christ when he was here. So that's kind of short to say it was prophesied they were going to do that. Why did they do that? Why did they reject him? Well, they didn't say they were appointed. They were appointed for, to be the leadership. It didn't happen because of the prophecy. The prophecy said it was going to happen, right? Why did they reject him? No, that's, that's, that's what was prophesied. They rejected him because he was the threat to their power. And the prophecy says it's going to happen, but it didn't say why. The why was because they were a threat to their power. He wasn't their model of what they were looking for. If he'd have been a super king, like David, that, that fought wars, and they could throw off the Romans, they'd have loved him. But as it was, he didn't fit their mold. So, obedience at the end, this is about the garden. This is about the prayers in the garden. In Isaiah, again, I was not disobedient, nor did I torn, turn back. So this is, God has given me the tongue of disciples so that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me in the morning. He awakens my ear to listen to the disciple. The Lord has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. What do you think that pulls from in the New Testament? How about Matthew? He was in the garden. He went in there. Who did he take with him when he went in the garden to pray? Excuse me? Yeah, he took some disciples. Peter, James, and John, the three. The, th the same three that were on the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay. And what were they there for? Moral support. Okay. My, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Then on farther down, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. So that's the first part of it. <clears throat> and he got through with that part of it. And he came back to the disciples. And were they there to really provide that moral support? They were asleep. Okay. He came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said, so you men could not keep watch for me for one hour. So, so they weren't there very long. Keep watching and praying so that you will not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, my father, if this cup cannot pass away unless I drink from it, your will be done. So the first prayer, part of the prayer was, is there any way that I cannot do this? And the second prayer when he came back was, okay, let's, let's go ahead with it. I don't think it can pass. I think that's why I came. And he knew that's why he came. 
So, now we go into the trials, which were, as I said, they were extensive. There was quite a few of them. And the things that happened in the trials, there's more prophecy for the people that are actually going to go do. Psalms. Lord, all my desire is before you. All my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, even that is gone from me. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my kinsmen stand far away. Those who seek my life lay snares for me, and those who seek to injure me have threatened destruction, and they plot deception all day long. Now, one's in white and one's in gold and the what I have, and there's kind of two different areas that I'm going to reference in here because it's two different prophecies that are all just rolled together as one in Psalms. The first one is about the gold one. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me? So this is the arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. As you would against a man inciting a revolt. Every day I was with you within the temple grounds teaching, and you did not arrest me. And this has taken place so that the scriptures will be fulfilled, and his disciples all left him and fled. So he's got the disciples with him as he's being arrested. And Christ brings up a good point. How come you didn't arrest me in the middle of the day when everybody was there when you saw me in the temple? Which they don't ask. Who's there that's, that's arresting him? You remember? <clears throat> it's the temple guards. That's who the Sanhedrin sent out to go arrest him. There was a Roman representative there, but it was the guards from the temple that were arresting him. A young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body, and they seized him. But he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. Who's that? It's only in the book of Mark. Who's that? It's only in the book of Mark. Who's that? Mark. When he was young, he wrote that in there. Okay, so he was there. He was there in and around the area. But uh, it's only in the book of Mark. In John, this is a little bit later on. The first thing was in the garden. This is at the trial. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest, and he entered with Jesus into the courtyard. Who's that other disciple? And this is in the book of John. Huh? It's John, yes. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave woman, who was the doorkeeper, said to Peter, You are not also one of the, this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. But the slaves of the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves, and Peter also with them, standing and warming themselves. So what's Peter going to do? He's going to deny, it's, it's what he said, it's what, what Clayton said, he's going to deny him three times. And when the cock crows, it's going to come to him. So Peter was kind of standing off a little bit, but John was there, front and center. And he must have known Caiaphas because they let him in while they were having their first trial. That one that went from Annas to the Sanhedrin, this is the one at the Sanhedrin. So this is later on, early, early Friday morning. 
This is the other piece that was in there as far as the snares and the traps. Yet as for me, I know my Redeemer lives. And at the last, oh, this is in Job, where it also talks about it, the same reference. He will take his stand on earth, even after my skin is destroyed, yet my flesh I will see God, whom I, on my part, shall behold for myself, and whom my eyes will see, and not another, my heart faints within me. So this is Job when he's talking. If you say, how shall we persecute him, and what pretext for a case against him shall we find? Then be afraid of the sword for yourselves. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword, so that you may know there is a judgment. Now Job's talking here not about himself at this particular point, but you can kind of see it within the context fitting in, because what's going to happen to Jerusalem? It's about 33 AD. What's going to happen in about 40 years? We had talked about that two weeks ago, I think. Yeah, Romans are going to destroy it completely, Okay. Which is what it talks about in 29. It says, then be afraid of the sword for yourselves. So those who persecute them, but they don't have any fit case against them. They, they don't really have any charge they could bring against Christ that's a valid charge. So in Matthew, then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said. So this is early. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you're truthful and teach the way of God in truth. And do not care what any, anyone thinks, for you are not partial to anyone. So they're kind of better enough here right now, though they, th they think they are. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it permissible to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? So we've, we've had lots of sermons on this. We've had lots of discussions on this. What are they trying to do? What are they trying to get Christ to do? Well, no, they're trying to get him to say one way or another, right? Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, as, as Clayton says, if, if they get him to say, don't pay the tax, well, now he's an insurrectionist. If he says, pay the tax, everybody in, Ju in Judea, Judea hates the Romans. So they're, so they're looking to drive a wedge. And his answer is, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and what is God's to God. So they give an answer to this particular point. They go, that's a really good answer. And they just kind of go away. They say, well, that didn't work. But later on, in Matthew, in chapter 26, when Jesus had finished his words, he said to the disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is handed over for crucifixion. So Christ has been talking about the Pharisees there in the temple area. At this particular point, at that time, the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the courtyard of the high priest named Caiaphas. That name keeps coming up. And they plotted together to arrest Jesus covertly, and kill him. So at that particular point, two days before the Passover, this would have been when? Wednesday. That late in that week, they said, we need to, we need to capture him, but we need to do it where nobody's watching us. And then we kill him. We get rid of this problem. So there's that prophecy in Psalms. Why are the nations restless and the peoples plotting in vain? The kings of the earth shall take their stand, and the rulers compire against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let's tear the shackles apart and throw their ropes away from us. He who sits in this heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at him. Then he will speak to them in anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. So you see Christ there. Okay? 
what you're doing, what all you nations going together are doing, you're following my plan. And you don't even know you are. So, in Acts, this is where um, Peter's talking. And he, in, in verse 25 in chapter 4, he says, Why were the nations insolent and the peoples plotting in vain? The kings of the earth looked to their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his, against his Christ. So here's where Peter's saying, don't you, don't you remember? The nations, it wasn't just the Jews. It was also the Romans that were gathered together. And that is a little bit in Luke. Now Herod was overjoyed when he saw Jesus. Remember, this is about the, the trial in front of Herod. For he wanted to see him for a long time because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed of him. So why did one Herod want to see him? Do a magic trick. Wow me. Do something cool. And he questioned him at some length, but he offered him no answer at all, the him being Christ. Now the chief priests and the scribes stood there, vehemently charging him. And Herod, together with the soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him, dressing him in brightly shining robe, and sent him back to Pilate. So Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, for previously they had been enemies towards each other. So at that particular point, you can see the people and the nations as the prophecy said, are turning against him together for his demise. Zechariah, now listen, Joshua, you high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you, indeed, they are men who are assigned. For behold, I am come going to bring my servant the branch. So here's the prophecy he says, he's going to come before you, but he's coming before you because I planned it. He's coming before you because you're going to be an instrument for part of the plan that I set in place before everything existed. Before creation, I put this plan in place. So this is where I talked about a little bit earlier, whoever arrested him. This is in John. And this is 12 through 14, and then there's a little bit in there that I skipped past, and I'll pick up again on, on verse 24. So the Roman cohort, the commander, and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. So who are the, who are the officers of the, of the Jews? Excuse me? It's the temple guards, okay? So they did have a Roman cohort. In other words, the commander of the cohort. He was there, and also with him was the temple guards. But the, those are the ones that bound him. The officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. So the Roman cohort was there just watching. It was the Jews that were doing this. And brought him to Annas first. So this is the first part where they brought him to Annas. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was in their best interest for one man to die in behalf of the people. So he was the one who convinced them, since he was the high priest, and the Sanhedrin, that we said, we got to get rid of this guy. But back, remember I read that other verse where they said, and we're going to do it in the middle of the night. We're going to do it where nobody can see it, see us. We're going to do it covertly, and then we'll get them killed. And then skipping down to 24, so Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So this is where they're starting to step through all the things, and it's the beginning of the day that he sends them to Caiaphas. In Isaiah. The Lord God has opened my ear, 
and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I did not hide my face from insults and spitting. For the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced, therefore I have made my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. Going to verse 6, I didn't underline that, but we had talked about that. I talked about that in my flow. I gave my back to those who strike me. What is that? What is he referring to that actually happened? They scourged him, okay? And they scourged him with about an inch of his life, okay? I mean, it ripped, it ripped up his back bad. He was bleeding badly. When they, when they did that. But the one I did was, I, I did not hide my face from their insults and spitting. When did that happen? You remember? Huh? It happened during the trials. During the trials. Exactly. Okay. They were mocking him. In Matthew, Jesus said to him, you have said it for yourself, but I tell you, from now, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So this is where Christ is talking to the Sanhedrin. And he's talking to Caiaphas specifically. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has blasphemed. What further, what further need do we have of witnesses? See, you have heard the blasphemy. Blas, blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, he deserves death. So he was orchestrating all this. Did they really expect the Son of God? I mean, you have all the scriptures that's talking about the Son of God, right? Well, then, now they got the Son of God that came in front of them. How should they have known he was of God? The signs and wonders, all the miracles he did, okay? He did all those miracles, why? To establish his authority. He came from God. He never said he came from anywhere else but from God. Then they spit in his face and beat him with their fists, and others slapped him and said, Prophecy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? So this is where they're spitting, and they're slapping, and they're hitting, and they're slugging, and everything else. And they have a, a, a cloak, or a robe, or, or, or something over his head where he can't see. But this is where they're do, doing it. Did it happen again? She's going, yeah. Again in Matthew. This is where they're in a praetorium. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort cohort to him. So this is where they've brought the co all the Romans in to look at this man that was arrested in the middle of the night before. So they stripped him and put a red cloak on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and beat him on the head. So the prophecy is in two parts. Part of it was the Sanhedrin did it, and part of it, the Romans did it. And after they had mocked him, they took, took the cloak off and put on his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. So 
You have this going on at this particular point with the Romans. They're spitting on him. I believe this is after he's been scourged. So what's that going to do? When you put the cloak on somebody, where do you put it? On their shoulders. If he's bleeding and he's starting to coagulate, what's it going to do with the cloak? It's going to stick. When they rip that cloak off, what's it going to do? It's going to tear it all up again. In Psalms, but I, like a person who is deaf, do not hear. And I am, I am like a person who cannot speak, who does not open his mouth. Yes, I am like a person who does not hear. And in those mouth, there are no arguments. For I wait for you, Lord. You will answer, Lord my God. What's this referring to? And this is in the trials. Lamb to slaughter. What defense did he offer? None. What might have happened if he did? Could he have defended himself? Yep. He was doing the Lord's will. He'd already made that decision to say, here's why I came 33 years ago. The night in Gethsemane, he prayed for it to pass from him. But he said, I'm gonna, it's, we're going to go ahead with it. But the only way it was going to work is if he really didn't offer defense. He responded to some questions, but he never offered a defense. In Matthew, chapter 27. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him and saying, and who's the governor? This is easy. Pilate. So, you're the king of the Jews. And he said to him, it is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he did not offer any answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they are testifying against you? And still he did not answer him in regard to a single charge. What was their charge? What was their main charge that they had that they tried to get the Romans to substantiate? Somebody said something. I thought I heard it. He says he's king. He says he's king. But, you know, King Herod was a king. He was an insurrectionist. He's going to lead a fight against Rome of the Jews against you. Was that true? When the, when they, when the disciples said, Hey, can I sit on your right hand and can I sit on your left hand? What do you say? My kingdom is not of this world. So if they listened to the teaching that was going on, they've been able to see he had no intention of anything for this world except to try and save it. But he didn't have any charges that he defended himself against. So when they said, hey, he's an insurrectionist, he's trying to lead us against you, and everything like that, Christ didn't say anything at all. So the governor was greatly amazed. Here in Isaiah, there's several references here, and I'm going to talk about the two last ones, the green one and the orange one, 
But I'm going to read through here because it, 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 it weaves through several different prophecies that, that occurred during that chain that I just went through on about the third slide. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, but the Lord has caused the wrongdoers, wrongdoing of us all to fall on him. Who's the him? Rob, you said something. I saw your mouth move. Jesus, yeah. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shears, so he did not open his mouth. I think you made a reference to that earlier, Clayton. So that one we've talked about. We see that where that was that we just talked about earlier. By oppression, his judgment and judgment, he was taken away. We talked about that. That's the one in fuchsia. I like fuchsia versus pink. Um, and what that is talking about is where they came in covertly in the middle of the night, and they took him, and they judged him, and they really didn't do it the way they're supposed to do it. And as for his generation, who is considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the wrongdoing of my people, to whom the blow was due. So here's where Isaiah is saying, we didn't get what we deserved. He's going to take it on himself for what we did wrong. That's us. That's all people who are following Christ. And his grave was assigned with wicked men. And he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. So actually, there, when we get to the, the part with the crucifixion and the death, which you may touch on next week, Doug, that verse 9 is a reference into following the crucifixion. So, the first one. In Luke, one of the criminals who was there hanged on, was, was hurling abuse at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So you had two people that were on either side of them. What was, what was their chosen profession? No, they were both thieves. They were both thieves. Okay. Which was kind of interesting. Being a thief, you were sentenced to the cross. So they must have been really bad thieves. You know, a lot of, a lot of things they did. And they may have killed somebody to steal. We don't know. But they are, they are termed as the thieves. And you've got two. What's the difference between the two of them? And don't say one's on the left, one's on the left. Yeah, one of them knows that it, it's Christ. Sorry, go ahead. One was saved and one was not. Vicki? Yeah, one, one of them said was hurling insults that were... Kind of the same insult as the crowd. Remember the crowd were saying, hey, you know, if you're the Christ and everything like that, why don't you just jump down off the cross? Okay? And the thief is in that same one. So all those didn't understand it and were mocking him because he was nailed to the cross. But the other thief said, he don't belong here. I do. You do. We're both bad people. But he don't belong here. But the other responded, rebuking him, and said, Did you, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. Even the thief knew he did nothing wrong. Pilate knew he did nothing wrong. But it was this whole secret deal that was going on with the Sanhedrin 
to keep their power, to keep their authority, to keep the money coming in to fill their pockets. Therefore, and this is where Pilate's talking to him, so I've kind of gone back before the cross. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king, and they answered, so you correctly for a king. <clears throat> for this purpose I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? So he lived in a society where truth was whatever was politically expedient. You're going to say it. It's like today, right? Yeah. And that, excuse me? Well, yeah, you debate opinions, though, as opposed to the truth. And after saying this, he came out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no grounds at all for charges in his case. So Pilate knew it. The thief on the cross knew it. I've got one more slide. In 1 Peter, For you have been called for this purpose, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you would follow in his steps. So, what's, who's Peter talking to? One of the few books he wrote. This isn't hard. Who's he addressing this to? This is a general epistle, right? First Peter, Second Peter, general epistles to Christians everywhere. To Christians then, to Christians now. He who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. So he didn't commit any sins. Why is that important? It wouldn't have been a spotless sacrifice. Yeah, it wouldn't have been the perfect sacrifice for us. And no deceit was found in his mouth. He didn't tell any lies, which would have been sin, right? But he didn't do anything to harm anybody. He tried to do everything he could to do for what purpose? I can't hear you. For us, okay. His, his whole point coming here was to seek and save the lost. And you kind of see that in, for instance, the example where the woman is brought in front of him with adultery. And they want to stone her. What does he say? You, you're going to get it out. Yep, he who is without sin cast the first stone. But per the law, what should he have done? Killed her. Matter of fact, with what he said, he who is without sin should cast the first stone. Should have been him. But he came with a specific purpose. His purpose was to seek and save the lost. To bring people back to Christ. To bring unity to those people who had faith in God together. Within him, as the, as the king, in his kingdom, which is a spiritual kingdom. That was his whole point. And while being abusively insulted, he did not insult in return. While suffering, he did not threaten. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteous, righteously. And who's that him? 
The Father. The Father. So he entrusted himself to the Father. How hard do you think it would be to be on that cross to see all those people mocking and saying all those things to basically just have compassion on them? It wasn't that he kept quiet. He had compassion on them. Wouldn't it indicate that he had that compassion? He knew their hearts. He prayed. He said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He had compassion. These people were vile. They were mean. <laughs> so that's our God. That's our Christ. That's who we serve. Yeah, we think we have a hard time. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Man-made gods are very jealous and they're very... Okay. That, that takes us through my last line. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I had one more. The Lord God opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I tip back. I gave my back to those who strike me. This is where I talked about it earlier in Mark, and after Jesus was flogged. So I did talk about this one. I didn't think I had. Now that's my last slide. So all these events get into a lot of detail leading up to his crucifixion, a lot of detail about his crucifixion, and if somebody was watching it and was knowledgeable, they had to go, wow, what a mistake we made. Colossal mistake. And that's what Doug's going to get into next week is the actual crucifixion. Thank you.